welcome to uh, this edition of the podcast of ideas i'm rob lyons and as usual i'm joined by claire fox and david bowden to examine the big issues of the day and uh, i thought we'd start off with the migration crisis and particularly the way it's being discussed in the uk and across europe in terms of people in western europe how they're reacting to it let's start with the photo of the little boy which really did shock the world and I think it raises some of the difficulties with this, which is is that on the one hand, you know, I've I've always felt very squeamish about this idea that one photo can change everything, you know, picture that changed the world. A bit sceptical of that approach to politics. But on the other hand, there was something very human, very encouraging and inspiring about a real sort of sense of generosity and shock that poured forth and the fact that people want to show a sense of solidarity that you know mixed feelings about that but it has become somewhat galling I have to say that now our attitude to the migration question is turned into a kind of help the poor refugees something about turning them into victims where we're put under a huge amount of pressure you know open your houses up what are you donating those kind of questions I think People have used the phrase virtue signalling, a bit of a you know, bit of a mouthful. But there's something in it which is just that everybody wants to show how much they're going to help the poor refugees, and I don't think that helps us get anywhere politically. It also puts a lot of pressure on people to kind of say and do the right thing, and it also begs the question: Well, say some of the people who are coming here are not lovely. Maybe they're not escaping ISIS. Maybe they just want a better life. I mean, you start to basically do the deserving, undeserving. I feel squeamish about it, I have to say. Yeah, I find it a fascinating issue, partly because what struck me was how, in a way, spontaneous the reaction to the kind of refugees were. In a way, that actually kind of threw, I think, a kind of lot of... Uh, a politicians kind of initially, actually. Because I do understand there is a kind of impact of those images that actually people can get used to the abstractions and hearing about figures of people dying and it's been building over the year but actually you know the, there has been a kind of change in a moment where people are relating personally to to, to migrants and actually people are viewing them as as people who are coming from a, a troubled land who are trying to get ahead and actually there seemed to me quite a bit of a originally spontaneous kind of reaction and actually quite pragmatic kind of attitude what can we do to to help these people let's not really you know, involve ourselves too much in the uh, uh, in the discussions about what the state can step in to to do it. Let's provide some kind of practical humanitarian relief. And I think, in a way, people have responded more seriously to that than has previously seen around some of these issues. So, on the one hand, I think that's very good because people actually have shifted their views slightly on the migration issue now that they are actually talking about these as as people in need of some kind of help. What can we do to help them in the short term? I think where the virtue signalling has now taken off is where people are trying to sort of seize control of that moment a little bit. So that has now become the kind of Nicola Sturgeon, I'm going to open up my doors to the refugees, what are you going to do? Um, it's become this very simple and straightforward way to kind of co-opt some of that kind of positivity without providing any serious answers or channeling that in any kind of meaningful political form. And I think that's quite dangerous. So the thing is, I don't want to be cynical about the reaction of many people on this issue because I think it's been actually kind of quite good and quite heartening and actually a kind of really good reminder that people on the whole can can find you know, some 
universal kind of sort of values that you know the, the migrants straight away weren't actually being straightforwardly pitied or or stripped of agency in fact of anything they were being responded to because they were displaying agency now we're seeing the process that they've been turned into the refugees slightly sort of later on and i think that's the kind of big thing that needs to be taken up because it has to be had as a political discussion i think if we just treat this as a humanitarian disaster as if it as if these refugees are there simply because of an earthquake or a tsunami um, that really misses the fact that this is a man-made political problem that needs political situ- discussions around border controls, about how we accept migrants, what we do, not just as a way of also bashing other countries in Eastern Europe for not being welcoming enough. That's where the virtue signalling comes in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and all the different layers of the debate are kind of exactly. So going back to the uh, deserving versus the undeserving, this kind of justification for borders comes in saying, oh, the, you know, that little boy, you know, his family weren't in any imminent danger. They'd been in a refugee camp for three years. I think, well, you know, that's the danger of your life slipping away with absolutely nothing beneficial to, to show for it. I think you might very well want to take the risk of, uh, of making that trip to the rest of Europe and uh, having some kind of job and some stability and security so absolutely right on this um, I, I just just one of the things that's happened as well is just which indicates that we have to be careful about not being overly black and white which is, is that first of all everybody says oh isn't Merkel marvellous um, uh, so Germany kind of can somehow be rehabilitated around it but I think more distasteful was the demonisation of places like Hungary um, which you know immediately people started saying well what are those Hungarians doing, you know, and suddenly we were talking about uh, death camps, you know, reminders of the Holocaust and, you know, transportation and something about the Hungarian right. And, uh, you know, then you get into this complicated thing about some people saying, well, why don't they stay in Hungary? What's wrong with staying in Hungary? (laughs) Not quite recognising that every young Hungarian is trying to get out of Hungary. I mean, I don't know if people understand what living in some of these peripheral uh, you know, uh, European countries is like, and so people, young Hungarians are themselves becoming migrants. But nonetheless, it indicates it's a complicated matter. And I suppose my nervousness about just the black and white thing—I completely agree with Dave about not wanting to be cynical. But I was also reared in a Catholic family where, you know, being shown of star, you know, starving by African children, told that all we had to do was to give money and everything would be all right. And you kind of grow out of that and you realise that actually a lot of things, even like famines, are not man-made, that maybe giving money to aid organisations isn't the solution and that maybe, as I grow up, one wants to understand something about what's happening in development and Africa and so on. So I just don't want this to turn into a, you know, if only we give them lots of help, it'll solve the problem. Helping people in an immediate and humanitarian way is absolutely admirable, but that's not a substitute for politics, and it shouldn't be used to morally bash people over the head who have got a different political perspective, because I think we need more politics in this and less moralising. Yeah, but I think the one thing about the politics coming in that I found more interesting is that suddenly, actually, after kind of years of talking about austerity and strained resources and the, you know the kind of problems confronting average kind of British people and kind of Europeans very much actually as much from the left really um, as from the kind of right all of a sudden we're a wealthy Western European nation again who have ample resources we have, you know we can take in these migrants and we can deal with that and I, yeah, that, that's good obviously because I think that's true that we actually we have a great ability to be able to absorb lots more people and to, to you know 
economically support that, not just out of a kind of pitying, you know, humanitarian aid response, but actually it's, it makes sense politically, economically, and on a human level. So there has been at least space opened up for that discussion. Actually, the, the entire narrative from all sides has changed, and people are very confused over on all sides about what they're what they're doing. You know, hence why that leads to some of the kind of crazed kind of demands that we take in orphan refugees, but you know, not ones whose parents have are still alive because obviously they can't be they shouldn't be helped it's only if your kind of parents have died that's a kind of difficult response going on but you can really sort of see that people's assumptions around resources and the economy and possibility has just been shifted a little bit now whether that lasts um i hope it does but that's the kind of political challenge that can be taken up so i think that there it does just feel as if there is a kind of moment of rare space and opportunity for at least better political discussion on the issue than we've had maybe for quite a few years. Yeah, the uh, the, the let them in thing, I should really start leading to a, a proper discussion about how we enable that to happen because you can't just say let let them in without having a proper discussion about the state of the economy and the barriers to living here already so for example it should throw relief on the 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 housing crisis we can more than easily cope with hundreds of thousands more people in the uk but we also have to then take seriously the problem the barriers that we've imposed upon ourselves in terms of the uk in terms of public services or you know, housing most particularly people who want to come to the UK are probably want to, going to want to come to London and we're living in a you know a sort of artificially constrained city and we need to have a serious discussion about breaking down those barriers so that not just refugees but everybody can have a better standard of living yeah well I mean it's interesting that as it happens I'm organizing a satellite on the 30th of September called is Britain full which is looking at the issues of infrastructure um, and development in London at the House of St Barnabas on the 30th but what's interesting is that I, you know I planned that discussion months ago and actually although migration was in the back of my mind it was it was a little bit more focused around actually the concerns about growing population this sort of sense that you know London and the rest of the UK was kind of just struggling under its own infrastructural failings um, kind of going forward let alone with the migrant issue now obviously Everyone wants to talk about the immigration issue on that one, but it's also is equally important to really kind of focus on how we would grow the economy. And then we have room for you know, lots more people if we want, but we have to actually have a serious discussion about what, how we challenge those barriers, where those barriers are, and you know, what we can do about it. Because at the moment, we can't even gre- build on the green belt to alleviate London's housing crisis, let alone deal straightforwardly with an influx of God, you know, who knows how many people coming in from outside, all of whom would be seeking somewhere to live. That's a discussion we can have, and there are actually probably good answers to it, but it's imp- vital and urgent to discuss it now more than ever. Okay, let's move on to a slightly related topic, which is the news that British drones had killed some British jihadis in Syria. What do we think about that? So, first of all, it's interesting because without just wanting to do an advert we, we've got this very interesting session at the Battle of Ideas this year which I'm actually looking forward to which is on changing nature of warfare and new technology and drones is obviously a very big focus of that because it does in a way how we consider intervention in some way you know those kind of things so um, I'm interested in that I'm, I'm absolutely opposed to western intervention but I find myself rather supportive 
of the drones taking out the ISIS jihadis. So um, uh, anyone listening can know that there seems to be a slight contradiction there. I think that one of the things that slightly got on my nerves has been this discussion about is it legal or not? I mean, I really do think if I saw jihadi John legal or not, might one might want to deal with him. And this idea that in all circumstances, in every single circumstance, you know, there's a kind of sort of legalistic way of looking at it. I find distressing. I'm much more worried about the potential decision to bomb Syria. I think it's interesting that, in fact, the drone killing of these jihadis is actually something which, in the past, probably would have happened under the radar. There's a long tradition of a kind of, you know, CIA, SAS, dirty ops taking people out. And what used to happen was everybody used to deny it and not talk about it. But it seems that there's nothing that anyone can do, including the army these days, that doesn't have to have a press release attached to it and a whole spin doctor operation. So in some ways, I just sort of think, oh, can't you have just done it rather quietly instead of kind of trying to make a virtue out of it, telling everyone and then getting yourself in a mess about it? But morally, I'm not opposed to it. Politically, I'm ambivalent. I don't want it to be a green light for military intervention, but I do want us to have no sympathy for ISIS and sort of suggest that they should be dealt with in a law court yeah i think the biggest problem is it reveals that confused attitude to what intervention is and what they're actually trying to get out of intervention again kind of on the back of the refugee crisis it has become this you know we need to bomb syria or it's become the crowing of if only we'd have gone in earlier to sort out this kind of problem when they originally had the parliamentary uh, um, vote on it that was a uh, defeated then you know we could have sorted out this problem at source and the people who are kind of proposing that haven't even touched upon the fact that the people that they would be bombing would be kind of different sets of people. At the time, it was Assad. We wanted to get rid of Assad, bad guy, doing terrible things to his uh, to the Syrian people, and you know, it was to help end the bloodshed and support the rebels. Now it's sort of started to emerge that the rebels were made up partly of groups like ISIS, who are the people that we want to bomb. And nobody is then saying, well, we need to support Assad in his fight against ISIS. There's this kind of crazed demand and the kind of belief that military intervention will sort out these problems. Actually, against any of the kind of evidence and the kind of failure to really kind of accept that our invasion and occupation of Iraq was a failure. I mean, in terms of actually being able to occupy the kind of country, it's almost impossible to try and keep on maintaining that kind of military hold, even if you wanted to in that situation. It's a very complicated, difficult um, uh, fight to have. And the danger of the kind of technology is, is that it comes in and it sort of lets you believe, kind of a bit like bombing raids, that you can have intervention without really having intervention, that you can go off and send a kind of drone in and kill, you know, target a couple of people um, and get rid of them and everything's fine and it doesn't really uh, matter too much. Actually, as it happens, the technology itself still isn't quite as advanced of that as we know from the drone bombing raids. But it also really persuades people that they can deploy military action to uh, in certain situations where actually they may make the situation a lot worse. Because it's actually still something I think markedly different, even from sending in special forces or ordering an assassination attempt. It's kind of telling yourself that you have because you haven't got boots on the ground you're not really intervening in a conflict. And I think that's just a really dangerous attitude to take politically. And I'm worried by the fact that that is actually the prevailing view across an awful lot of Western uh, uh, military figures, it seems to me, as much as political figures. Interestingly, just as a quick segue, um, 
before this uh, fallout from the Gulf War and the this idea of, of having votes in Parliament on, on such things, which I think is a very good thing as it happens, this kind of thing would have just been done under the royal prerogative as far as I can tell. So which brings us neatly onto the Queen, <laughs> which I'm only going to mention in passing, but um, with all the kind of uh, discussion about how marvellous she's been over the last 63 years, having finally broken Victoria's record as our longest-serving monarch, um, there's been a lot of discussion about her, but very little discussion really about the monarchy, as far as I can see, and about the, the, the purpose of it, which seems to be to be not that the Queen, this unelected figure, is going to make lots of decisions on our behalf, but rather that politicians can make decisions in the name of the Queen without having to refer back to the people. And I think that that's a, you know, a very dangerous thing that we, sh- we should have got rid of an awful long time ago, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, the difficulty with the monarchy discussion is is, is that it's, it's very hard to entirely say anything new about it, but it is absolutely the case that the existence of the monarchy in the particular form that it takes in the UK is an insult to all of us as citizens because it denies us the right to be because we're turned into subjects and it has an anti-democratic side to it which it's not that you know whenever you say this kind of people will sort of say but the queen's lovely i mean when she ever done anything and it's not a question of thinking that the royal family are about to you know you know kind of come out as fascists or that they are it's not them as you say it's that politicians can hide behind that that is their right to hide behind it because we live as a monarchy but i but i also think that i suppose the slight nervousness I have about this discussion at the moment is is that the Queen is incredibly popular and people turn out in their millions and there's something of that I know we, this phrase is overly used but you know there is something of the metropolitan elite's disdain for the, the flag waving masses which is you know oh look at them the idiots you know what I mean? Why are they waving the flag for the Queen? You know, why aren't they welcoming migrants into their house and going to Calais? Or, you know, you know, look at the kind of, you know, these kind of like mindless mass. And I think that, well, one of the reasons is because, um, well, first of all, they're not a, a mindless mass of people. People are enjoying the pageant of it all. They have a sense of tradition. It gives them a sense of meaning. And we can say that that's um, kind of rather thin. But until, A, there's a systematic argument for what a democracy really is or b that we come up with a sense of meaning about what britishness means beyond the monarchy then actually you can hardly blame people for enjoying the celebratory side of the monarchy uh, it's up to those of us who are political to make a different kind of case i suppose yeah i mean the we are, you know everyone pisses and moans a bit about about living in britain but at the end what's fundamentally being said there is look at these idiots for actually being proud of being British and proud of being here which is you know says an awful lot about that wider discussion you said about British values we do actually live in a democracy a relatively free society and one of the wealthiest in the world and whatever the sort of pros and cons of that and how that came about nonetheless there is there is much to be proud about being British even if you don't actually want to wave a flag about it and there's a discussion about British values and whether they should be taught at the Battle of Ideas. Well, let's go on and just open the floodgates and talk about the Battle of Ideas because it is now five weeks away and we're all working hard in the office here to pull together a very, very big festival. So what stands out for you in terms of the kind of discussions that we're going to be having this year? Well, I think that, that you know, one of the things that relates to what we've talked about, at least, and one of the themes that I hope that we can impress upon people is that it's not just a festival that's called the Battle of Ideas, but there's quite a lot of debates about trying to win the Battle of Ideas. 
And by that, I mean that we actually have got discussions about why young people join ISIS, whether you should teach British values, um, what the new kind of terrorism that's emerging, and um, whether people are avoiding winning arguments. One of the uh, sort of other strains of, of themes in the Battle of Ideas is the emergence of a kind of very thin-skinned uh, sort of defences at defensive attitude to argument even where people object to and find offensive anyone who takes a different point of view to you and constantly hides behind identity politics and so on and so forth so all so what the battle of ideas is is both a hundred panel debates on everything you've ever thought of and all the big issues of the day but it also wants to explore the crisis of political debate and why, actually, as soon as we say we want to win the hearts and minds of young uh, Asians who might be considering going to join ISIS, we immediately ban something. Or why, when we say we want to uh, uh, have open discussion, somebody somewhere is saying, you can have an open discussion as long as you don't invite so-and-so to speak, or as long as they don't say this, or if they only say it in the right way. And I think that we want to demonstrate that uh, people are far more robust they need to be. And if we're going to solve problems like migration, we're going to have to be open, frank and honest. Uh, say some things that we all find unpalatable so we can work out what to do. Yeah, I mean, I always just look forward to that sort of feeling that actually it is a kind of free intellectual space, I think, is a, uh, the main appeal of the Battle of Ideas for me. Obviously, I might well say that. That's why I've been involved in it for a number of years. But it's it's really good to be able to take... An awful lot of issues that you hear a kind of lot of uh, discussion of, such as around the kind of impact of technology or robots or um, artificial intelligence, this kind of role that uh, how the economy is changing. And they're often made in these sort of somewhat kind of grandiose terms. So that there is a kind of uh, uh, conceit that humanity is threatened by the rise of artificial intelligence. And actually you kind of look at the kind of issues a little bit more and there's all of this kind of discussion about how humanity is threatened by the role of artificial intelligence and then you realise that even the smartest robots that they've created probably have the intelligence of a gnat and you kind of think well it's not taken as red that they're going to be a threat to humanity anytime soon but there are interesting things occurring in the fields of technology the impact it will make upon the economy um, there are interesting uh, uh, things which are going on in the rest of uh, society and challenges to our kind of conception of ourselves as as human beings um, but you get to have the opportunity to actually try and discuss them you know, straightforwardly honestly try to learn a little bit more come out with um, more things that I want to kind of discuss and read about um, and to take forward and give myself just a kind of critical um, view of what of, of what's going on in the world right now and I think that is always an incredibly refreshing sort of sense because you can often feel slightly overwhelmed by the news agenda today and you can always sort of, you either sort of feel as if everything's going to be fine and it's brilliant and it's optimistic and don't worry about it or it's everything is going to hell and there's nothing we can do about it and obviously the reality is something more complex but as soon as you start to understand some of the problems a little bit more that's at least a, a step towards doing something about it um, I, I, I do think that that point about um, some of these big issues that we're talking about I thought it was very interesting the exchange that you both had about migration and are we full and 
infrastructure and so on because you can have that moralistic discussion about migration without having a discussion about why it is that people think that we're full and it might be that they think we're full because every time you get on a train it seems to be falling apart overcrowded you have to stand for hours uh, you know the, the, the reason why people might perceive that there's not enough houses for migrants is because there are not enough houses and therefore what the battle of ideas allows us to do is to consider some of those things so I'm very excited that we've got a debate on yeah, building on the green belt, for example. I'm very excited that we're going to be discussing, uh, you know, the new industrial revolutions. That how you actually create economic growth. I think it's great that we've got uh, Mike Wright from Jaguar Land Rover who's going to put forward some ideas about what uh, kind of new manufacturing might look like, what a new industrial revolution might look like. Uh, because actually, otherwise, um, all of these discussions do like just exist at the level of surface. We feel sorry for people today, but then the hard reality kicks in, which is, yeah, but there's not enough room, there's not enough places to live in. What we allow ourselves to do, I think, is to sort of say, let's imagine the world differently and let's look at the barriers to changing that world. And so all and more, you know, discussed by 500 speakers over a weekend with a few thousand of us all there to join in the conversation, I think... I hope we'll clear a bit of space for people to actually take on the year anew and say, actually, we don't have to see it that way. Let's look at it in a completely different way. The uh, the, the thing that I most like about the festival is that, every, I mean, I think most people come to something like this and, and they've got their own bees in their bonnets or subjects that they particularly like and they'll they'll probably find three or four sessions that are very specifically around the things that they're interested in but then they've got the rest of the time to fill with things that are just well what what happens to be on in that next time slot and it could be anything so i i'm interested in the economy or in debates about food and the environment but then i can also go along and find out how to listen to a symphony or Look at look back at the debate about birth of a nation. You know, classic film, one of the very very earliest classic films, which is you know about the Ku Klux Klan and therefore tainted with the stigma of racism. But actually, it's a very good film. I mean, groundbreaking for its time. So can we can we appreciate something like that as a work of art? Um, so there's lots of things there that mean that you're kind of forced to engage with debates that you wouldn't necessarily you'd skip those pages in the newspaper or go to some, something else and actually for this one weekend actually we're all going to be like renaissance men and women and like engage with all these a wide variety of things that we wouldn't normally discuss thank you uh david and claire for your contributions uh, i'm rob lyons um this was the podcast of ideas you want to find out more about our podcasts do go to instituteofideas.com forward slash podcast if you want to find out more about the battle of ideas and get tickets for it go to battleofideas.org.uk. of ideas.org.uk